We believe that you are strong by design, and you were made in God's image to have a strong body, mind, and spirit. You're listening to the number one strength and health authority podcast in the world. So let's get ready to unlock your potential and transform your life in today's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Strong by Design podcast. I'm your host today, Coach Tanya Fines, joined by Mr. Dave Mathis. Welcome, Dave. Hey, how you doing? Thank <laughs> I'm, you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Well, thanks for making time to do this because I know you are super, super busy. Um, I've been following you on Instagram, so I have a lot of questions for you. I really want to have a great conversation. I have tons of respect for what you're doing and your philosophy and your approach, uh, your coaching style. So there's lots of things I want to hit on today. Um, but before we jump right into that, I just want to give our listeners a little bit of a background on you, then I'm going to let you talk about yourself because they didn't tune in to hear me. So um, what what I've learned about you that I did, well, some of this I knew, some of it I'm learning, but uh, you're an Army Army combat medic veteran. You've got two personal training certifications, a master's in exercise science from the University of South Florida, and you are a best-selling author on Amazon. And we're going to talk about your book, A Shell of Myself. Very, very important uh, moment, I think. Um, to bring into the podcast. Uh, currently, you are um, one of the coaches with BioLane, and you have been since 2017, and you specialize in reverse dieting, fat loss, and muscle building. Um, so you've got a lot, you got a lot of notches on your belt. You're doing a lot of good things. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and thank you for that flattering introduction there. Um, yeah, I, uh, it, it's been quite a journey, um, especially the last you know, probably 10 years or so. But um, yeah, I mean, you basically touched on it. Um, I'm 36 years old. I uh, about to have my first baby girl in July. Yes. So, congratulations uh, on that. <laughs> thank you. Currently right now, I'm uh, you know coming off of foot surgery and some other little injuries. So I haven't been training as much as I would like to the last few months, but we're getting back into that. But yeah, I, um, you know, I, Went to USF, got my uh, master's under um, Bill Campbell, Dr. Bill Campbell. Okay, yeah, yeah. Great mentor and friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I connected with Lane back in 2017. And, you know, there's kind of a a back history to that, too, as far as, um, you know, I'm not sure how much we'll get into the book and my Mm -hmm. issues with that, but part of a recovery that I went through, um, Lane was a big part of that in many ways. Not that I knew him, but just his content, his videos really kind of helps steer me into the direction I'm in right now. Mm. Uh, and this was years and years before I even met him. So, um, yeah, you touched on it. I was an army combat medic veteran, um, did a tour over in Iraq in 2010 and 11. Uh, we mm-hmm. were stationed over in Baghdad for a year. Um, you know, when I got out of, uh, when I got done with my bachelor's in 07 from Indiana, uh, I moved down to Florida and started, uh, working at home shopping network. How about <laughs> that? <laughs> It was uh, my first real like out of college job and wow. it was great. You know, it was a good job. Just, I did not like it. And, mm. you know, I, I should have followed my passion a little bit closer in college. Um, you know, I always wanted to go into training and, and working with okay. people uh, with their nutrition, their training, their health. I always thought I was going to be a professional athlete and okay. you know, there's not much demand for a five, eight white guy in the NBA. So <laughs> Oh yeah. You're a basketball uh, fan, right? A basketball and baseball yeah. are my two big ones. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, being from Indiana, you know, a Hoosier, you, you grow up with a basketball and baseball in your hand. So, yeah, yeah. um, you know, back, you know, I'm 36, like I said, so I, I'm still back from the magazine era. 
I, I was yep. looking at bodybuilding magazines on the shelf, you know, um, and, and although I was always an athlete my whole life, I was never really like, I wasn't into bodybuilding per se right. as a young, young guy, but um, I was always fascinated with it. I just didn't do it myself. Like right. I was just kind of using weight training and all that stuff for basketball and for baseball and other sports like that. Um, it wasn't really until I got into college and realized <laughs> the, the, the dreams of going pro are pretty much over at this point, <laughs> um, that I kind of really started focusing more on just hitting the weights because I wanted to build my body, right? right. Um, my oldest, not my oldest sister, my second oldest sister, um, she's about six years older than me. Uh, she went to Arizona State University for exercise science and she, okay. she was there in 97 or 98. Um, I was in middle school and this was really the first time that I heard about, like, you can go to school to, to study exercise. Like, right. Like, right. What is this? Um, and basically from that point on, I was just very into nutrition and learning how to optimize human performance, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And then obviously I took the safe route in college and did, uh, did business and stuff, which has right. absolutely helped me nowadays. Yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm thankful for, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. And it kind of put me a little bit behind mm -hmm. the eight ball. Um, so when I came down to Florida, you know, I was working at home shopping network and like I said, it was a good job. I just wasn't into it. Yeah. And so I was like, I got to do something else. So I, I quit and I started pursuing my personal training certifications um, and started personal training on the side wow. and did that for a while. And as any, anybody probably over the age of, 32 understands how 08 came around and the financial uh, crisis. The yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Um, nobody was really, really spending money on personal training anymore uh -huh. at that time. So yeah. I knew I was like, well, I got to do something. Right. And I knew I always wanted to go back to school and kind of right a wrong that I think I kind of felt for not doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a family history of my grandpas, my uncles, my stepbrother serving in the military. And I'm like, you know mm -hmm. what? Um, it's always been something that I felt very patriotic and like I wanted yeah. to do, but I just had all this other stuff and, and no excuses. I just kind of put it off. Right? right. Well, this was the perfect time for me to go explore that. And, uh, you know, I took the tests and I scored high enough to, you know, be in the, the health field, medic field. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to use my experience in that to go back to school eventually. Afterwards. Okay. And, uh, some things happened in the army and some health issues and some, some kind of career paths that went a different way that I had hoped mm. for. Um, and so after the four years, I just got out instead of staying in, um, but loved my experience. I wish that things would have turned out a little different in some aspects. Like I said, How I so? well, I wasn't really the healthiest during okay. it, uh, both from a physical and from a mental standpoint. I talk a lot about this in my book. In your book yeah. Um, I had been suppressing a lot of things for a lot of years that mm. I had dealing with properly. And it's mm -hmm. stuff that goes back to my parents' divorce when I was like five years old um, right. and things that I never really knew that were bothering me. And then it was kind of like you, as the years go on, little things happen and they start to escalate and everything. And then all of a sudden, just one little thing kind of sends you over the edge. Mm -hmm. um, I had a, I had a, a loss of a really close friend of mine um, that hurt really bad. Um, a loss of a, a pretty serious relationship that hurt pretty bad. Mm. Seemed like family was moving all over the country and away from me. And I just, I kind of got this depression that mm -hmm. sort of set in. Um, started developing some anxiety, things like that. And in the army, um, that's really where my OCD and my eating disorder took over. Um, 
there's a lot of things that escalated my OCD. If anybody's ever been in the military, you know, things are very particular. And and I was just going to ask you that it's a, it's a, it's a prime environment to foster something like that. Especially when you're already a type A personality and you also have these unresolved issues you're going through. It's the perfect Um, storm. It really was. And, and, you know, part of the the eating disorder was a control issue. Like Mm -hmm. I was having all these feelings and I felt like I had control taken away from me. I was 24 years old in the military with these young kids who didn't know anything about life. And I had Mm -hmm. already gone through a little bit of it at that point. Um, And then just like I said, some unfortunate career paths that were kind of out of my control um, that started to eat away at me a little bit. And all these sort of things just escalated and I did not take care of my mental health the way I should have. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of, the cup runneth over and everything kind of started spilling out. And I just kind of started taking, a, um, taking everything out on myself. I was punishing myself for things that I should not have been punishing myself for. And so what is a guilt thing or were you really wanting to hurt yourself? Was it more guilt or more wanting to harm yourself? More guilt. Yeah. More guilt. Yeah. Um, I never, I never wanted to seriously hurt myself, yeah. but with that being said, what I was doing was, was harming. Killing. Yeah. Um, I ended up in the ICU for almost a month. Um, I nearly died from my eating disorder and they literally flew my parents up to base um, when I was stationed outside of Seattle because I wasn't supposed to make it through the night. Um, wow. And I, I, I talk about the numbers and everything. I don't like to do that so much because of the triggering. It sometimes yeah. triggers people, but mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. And um, you know, I'm very thankful that I'm here today yeah. But even as I started getting a little bit healthier and stuff, I was denying it. Like I was in denial big time of having an eating disorder or having any sort of mental health issue. Um, mostly because it was my coping mechanism. Like all mm. these obsessions, all these compulsions, they were my, my coping mechanism. So your survival. It was survival. And so I wasn't wanting to let go. I didn't want yeah. anybody to come in and tell me that I was doing something wrong. Like mm. I didn't care. Like this is what worked for me, but it wasn't working for me. Right. Like the, it's kind of ironic, the things that I was trying to take control of ultimately took control of me. Cause the element of just being in control is what's working. Finally, something's working because you're able to control it. So people, like people listening, you can kind of wrap your head around that concept that the, I, the element of control is such a powerful and overwhelming um, tool because it is very tangible. Cause what you were doing was very tangible. You were, you very, know, uh, I don't know, like exhilarating in a way. It's like, it's a little bit of a high, even when it's not working and it's destroying you, there's still like this adrenaline rush that comes from the behavior is filling something. I need, it was a void. There was a lot of void that I was feeling. And, um, yeah, I mean, just to, just to give people perspective, like I would get up at like two 30 or three in the morning and go to do a workout on base, like at our gym, come back, shower, get my stuff on to go to my morning PT with my unit so that nobody knew what I was doing. I was very secretive. This mm-hmm. eating disorders and mental health issues in general are very secretive things. Yes. Right? Um, there's a lot of shame there's a lot of guilt and there's also a lot of embarrassment that yeah. comes from, it. and not even if you know it at the time, like looking back on it, I can see all that now. You feel it. But it's would, there. It's there. And you know, I would, uh, I'd go do PT with my unit and then throughout the day, I mean, I'm not even joking, Tanya. I do like 1,500 burpees a day. Like, I, I, so part and of it nobody is, likes burpees. <laughs> no, no. Nobody but likes them. I, I had all this anxiety, right, from all these different aspects of, of my life and, and things like that. And the 
best way that I found to deal with my anxiety was to outwork my anxiety. Oh, okay. So if I was always constantly doing something, it took my mind off of stuff, mm-hmm. what ended up turning into this compulsive habit. Well, I was just going to say, because for a lot of people, like, um, because I've done coaching too, been in this, and I've switched gears a lot more to working with sort of that more emotional side of it, because that's where I'm really pulled to. I really want to help people with because the, because we can get people that like need to just need something to deal with, whether it's their, you know, we talk to people that are stressed out. They have a terrible work-life balance, whatever that is, you know, all these things. And so it's like, well, exercise, eating right, all these things that are good to fuel your body, to fuel your brain, to create some kind of sense of balance. But I mean, balance is doing this all the time and just navigating it, managing it, you know, in a healthy way. So yeah. we can we can address this issue and say, here, exercise is great. However, when there's underlying trauma and issues that have just been sat on that kind of fester those wounds, that can be the exact trigger that I've got this. I'm good at this. I can do this. I control the time, the amount, the rest, the sets, what I'm eating. And it becomes that part that actually takes, like it becomes the runaway horse. Yes. And, and, you know, I was so uh, depressed. I was so unhappy during this time period. And it's like, what is the one thing that has always been there through my life that's made me happy? And it's been sports or being physically active or all this stuff. And yeah. so I kind of, I used that in a, uh, I abused exercise. Right. I was going to say there's using it and then there's the, it, it can easily flip to the abuse when there's underlying unaddressed trauma. And, and I think, you know, you know, looking back on it now from where I'm at, you know, years and years post all that and recovered, Um, I say, I still say in recovery, I guess, because I I think that there's an element that, um, I always have to be aware of, like, Mm. like I have the tools though, that if any thoughts or anything like that comes up now, I'll be honest, I haven't, there's no, no way I ever want to go back to that. Like I'm in a good place in my life. Those things are resolved. All that issues that caused all that stuff's resolved, but it's, it's a part of me and it's a part of my, my history. And it's something that I always have to be aware that, Listen, it, it came about easily before. It can easily mm-hmm. come out again, but I'm armed with the tools now. And I think that in my position coaching, um, you know, I tell everybody up front because a lot of people know my story and they come to me. I tell them up front, listen, I can't help you with your eating disorder, right? I went through it, but I'm not in a position. I'm not a professional to help you on those yeah. on that level, right? Now, what I can do for people is I can spot signs pretty, pretty well. Yeah, I, I can have the conversations with them. And mm-hmm. I think that most people, I, I want to think that they, re, they respect my opinion because most of them know what I've gone through and yeah. they know that I'm not like just someone who doesn't know what I'm talking about and be like, Oh, I think you have an eating disorder. No, I, I don't even approach it like that. I just say, these are some signs that we may want to start looking at. These are some things that I noticed that are happening with you. You're, you're very anxious about taking days off from the mm-hmm. gym. You're very anxious if you can't weigh and measure every little thing. And we have the conversations about, about that stuff. And if need be, I can point them into a direction to go get help. So Good. I've really, since I've gotten recovered or recovery, however yeah. you want to put it, um, and I decided to make that choice to use my GI Bill and go back to school um, get my prereqs so that I could apply for grad school um, and really, really devote my life to not only like helping people get jacked and ripped and strong and right. stuff. That's so much fun. I love that. But just to help improve people's quality of life through right. nutrition, training, and then the mental aspect. You talked mm. a little bit about the emotional approach that you take. I'm huge with that. I I, I talk about 
you know, mental outlook, how we think about things affects it. So we go Mm -hmm. over that. We try to take emotion out of certain elements of it or try to identify what the emotion is that's, you know, attached to maybe food or a certain. Well, let me ask you about that. Sorry to interrupt. I want to jump in because if I don't, I'm going to forget. But like how, I mean, agree or disagree. I mean, that's what this podcast is about. It's about talking stuff out. So um, how much do you agree or disagree with the statement or the belief that, you know, like I come, I believe that we have relationships with everything. We have relationship with people, Mm -hmm. with places, with memory. We have our being human. We're so emotionally driven, even if we're like cold, we have, I mean, because that's an emotion or a lack thereof. So that is a relationship. How, um, you know, people's relationship with food Mm-hmm. has to become a part. Like, I mean, some people just do this, do it well. They do it. They just, they have a healthy mindset. They've got a great support network. They've kind of got things in check. Um, but a lot of people, and it's been my experience, a lot of people that kind of really get into this, sometimes there has been like, I don't want to say another addiction, but another extreme focus. So this is just shifting focus to something that's a little more socially acceptable. It can be a little easier to hide some of those red flags. Um yeah. But how important is it to recognize and call out as quickly as possible if there is an imbalance in the relationship with food? How much is that driving a lot of what's happening? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm on board with you with that. I, I think that it's drastically important to understand that, um, you know, as human beings, we are, we are relationship. We are yeah. re- relationshipinal. I don't know how to say relationship. That. We're, we're relational. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Um, how did I have a master's degree? I can't <laughs> um, anyways, yes, we are very relational. Like we need other humans. We need other things. To Make connection. Connection. That's a good way to put it. Um, and the way that we view food and the way that we view exercise and how it relates in our life is all a learned behavior. It's mm. not like we are. I don't feel like we're born like. No, we don't come in programmed for that at all. No, not at all. So we learn these things along the way. Now, mm-hmm. some people learn them from their family life, right? Some people yeah. learn them from their friends. Some people learn them from their uh, coaches. Some people learn them from through social media, right? So everything is a learned behavior, but everything is a relationship in one way or another, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, A goes into B, B goes into C, C goes into D. Everything kind of plays off each other. So if you don't get to the root cause soon hmm. enough and yeah. you have all this baggage behind you, that's going to make it harder and harder to eliminate. Right. And that's kind of what happened with me is that instead of dealing Getting to the root <laughs> right away. And, and yeah. part of the reason is, is, and this is, might be another interesting factor in this is that I didn't have like my parents divorced and all that. Yeah. I didn't think it affected me. I had a great childhood, you know, My parents were very cordial to each other. I had a great family life on both sides. Like it didn't seem like it bothered me. Mm. Right. But it did. You were young. You were little. Consciously. Yeah. Little. And five is that imprint. There's, there's something, there's psychological develop, emotional development that happens up to five. That is huge. And anything that anything, because we always say kids are resilient, they're resilient and they are. And I mean, your story is actually a perfect example of resiliency However, right. the, you were resilient in spite of trauma that you, it didn't affect me. Yeah. Right. And, and this, is, this is actually really important. And I kind of get it, like, obviously in the book, it's a lot more in detail, but I didn't learn all this until I went back to therapy and, mm. and that's what helped me through. But that sort of 
abandonment, if you yeah. want to call it. That's what I saw it as, as my parents getting divorced. Now, there's no rational reasoning behind that. There's no reason I should have felt abandoned. My dad was always around. My mom was always around. Like I had everything I needed, yeah. right? Rationally, that, that's not there. But that is the thought that kind of stayed with me throughout mm-hmm. my life. And, and, you know, I talked about the loss of, a, of a, um, my friend, right? Yeah. Died. Um, just very tragic car accident, right? Mm. Um, he's 18 years old, just weeks before oh, his 19th wow. birthday. We were freshmen in college. Um, I, in a way, took that as abandonment. He abandoned you. And then a few months later, my girlfriend, uh, very serious, longtime girlfriend, we broke up. I took that as an abandonment. Mm. And then my family started moving away to different parts of the country. I took that as an abandonment. So it's this one little thing at five years old that Stop. although it's, it's nobody, it's really nobody's fault because like it didn't bother me. I didn't think of that, but I should have probably been in therapy and talked about this little by little and maybe it would have came out, right? Maybe somehow. Well, at five, you wouldn't have had the language to express it, even if you did know if, if, if at five you had the awareness, which you wouldn't because you were five, but let's say you did say you were like some genius level, little five-year-old and still the ability to emotionally uh, like intellectually recognize the emotion and then have the ability to communicate it. I mean, it just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. Sadly. So it it just just sits there. Yeah. It just goes to show how those things just escalate throughout your life. And, you know, looking back on it, um, you know, just kind of going back to our, our relationship talk and stuff. I am very, very big on relationships and trust and loyalty. And I feel very hurt when those things are not there. And so I think from an early age, I learned to connect with people and hold on to them in my life. And then if they left, Mm. it kind of sent me down a a spiral and it just little by little happened. And then you know, the other stuff we talked about in the book and everything kind of just escalated quickly, but it's using all those experiences now that I've had in my past that I've been able to work through, through therapy and understand. That's the other thing. It's one thing to recognize it. It's the other thing to understand how to, you know, break it down, what it all means, Mm -hmm. you know, decipher if it's realistic or not, you know, moving forward. And, And I've, I think that that has made me a better coach because there's certain things that I can look for, like I said, in my clients and, and kind of understand, like, maybe we need to have a conversation about something, right? Yeah. Maybe it's not, maybe it's nothing. And that's great if it's nothing, but maybe we need to have a conversation because it could have been something that maybe if someone just had a conversation with me at, at a younger age, maybe something could have came out and I could have kept from going down that route, right? Mm. Now, I don't blame it on anybody by, by any means. It's just the reality of life. We all have right. circumstances that lead to where we're at right now. Right. Um, but I just try to, I try to look at that, especially when it comes from the food and exercise component, because I can easily, easily understand that. And I can understand how it can take a control of you, mm-hmm. take control of you, I should say, and how you don't feel in control of your life. Like I talked to my therapist and I described in the book, there was a lot of times, like I felt like I was outside of my body looking down, mm. like, like I was a puppet, like somebody was doing all this stuff. I knew yeah. what I was doing was not good but I couldn't control myself because it was just when you're that deep into a, a mental health issue or depression, yeah. OCD, it's very debilitating. And that's how I felt for many years. Um, you know, even with recovery, it was not a linear path. Um, oh, I can't imagine that would be like would dynamic be. and all over the place. 
Our team would like to thank you so much for listening to the Strong by Design podcast. And if you're enjoying today's show, please share this episode with at least one friend or family member who will benefit from this message. And please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Go to strongbydesignpodcast.com. That's strongbydesignpodcast.com. Let's get back to the show. I denied it for a long time. I mean, I was an inpatient facility. What did you deny? That you had anorexia, that you didn't have control, that you had trauma that wasn't like, what was it that you were denying specifically? Or was it all the above? So I denied the eating disorder. Hmm. Um, I denied that it was an issue whatsoever. Uh, I was like, this is my lifestyle. Like, what's wrong? Who's to tell me what I can and can't do? Like, I wasn't grasping the seriousness of my health issue Um, because I wasn't, my brain chemistry wasn't correct. I was malnourished. You know, I was obsessive compulsive. I was, I had generalized anxiety disorder. Like I had all these things that were like compounding, compounding on each other. And I just could not um, think logically. And, And I needed to get healthy from a physical standpoint first, I need to get nutrients. Yeah. I need to get your brain fed for yep. starters. And then once yeah. that was, was fed, I was able to, to navigate the other stuff. Now it didn't come right away. Like no, me years of exposure therapy to kind of get out of my OCD. Cause you kind of built a house of cards, really like in this emotional house of cards. So Absolutely. you had to like really make some change, switch those cards out for like building blocks. Yeah. Because those were, those were my comfort zones. That was yeah. my, it's almost kind of weird to say, but my, my obsessions and compulsions and my exercise, all that, that became my family because you're I, familiar. Sh- I shut people out. Like I shut mm. my family out. I shut friends out. I was isolated. Was that because you can't control people, but you can control everything else? I think so. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, it was also because I didn't want to hear people tell me what I was doing was bad because oh, yeah. it was my, it was the only thing that made me feel somewhat normal you know, quote unquote normal. It was kind of working in my for you. world. In my world. Yes. Yeah, it was working. And, for you, uh, world. you know, I, I shut family out. I shut friends out and, you know, it took a lot of, um, it took a couple different facilities for me to finally accept it. And once I accepted it, um, you know, recovery came quicker, not easier, but it came a little bit quicker in terms of um, I was more willing to take. Let go of the control. Steps. Huh? Let go of the control and let a process of healing happen, maybe? Yeah, I think that's kind of a really good way to put it. Like, I would be okay. Now, as before, where I would take maybe one step forward and three steps back, right. I was taking like three steps forward now and one step back. Okay. So, the ratio had kind of turned around. So, I was I was okay with being not okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was very yeah. uncomfortable to break yeah. out of the zone. And even to this day, I'm pleasant up. I like structure. I like mm-hmm. schedules. I like all that stuff, but it doesn't control my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I could literally, I, I had to, I mean, just to talk about how, how intense it was, I couldn't start my meals until it was a certain time on the, on the clock. Um, I had to do the exact same things every single day or else I had panic attacks. Mm-hmm. I had to try to outdo myself, which led into the exercise yeah. compulsion. Yeah, compulsion. Uh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't go, I couldn't go anywhere, eat out anywhere. I couldn't do any of that stuff. Um, mm. 
you know, everything had to be in order in the apartment, you know, everything labels and cabinets and everything had to be perfect. It was a very military-esque type. Well, and that, that kind of the lifestyle and the environment you're describing makes it really easy to not have to work out cutting people out because right. you just create an environment that's so sterile with such thick walls that nobody can get in anyway. So you're, you're like, I mean, it's like this, it's almost like these default systems of control subconsciously come into place and the behaviors and the um, emotional attachments to certain things become so strong that we're just building barriers that we're not at. I don't even know how aware it, the, how much the awareness is, but it's happening because mm-hmm. that's what you need. This is what feels good. This is what's in control. And it just by default keeps people out. It does. And, and, you know, part of, um, part of keeping those people out in my life to me was protecting them. And, and what I mean by that is I was in bad shape. I was literally a shell of myself, which is where the title, the, of, the book the title of the book, a shell of I, myself. I was a skeleton. Um, I was empty inside. Yeah. I was just, I was just drained and I could, I, I could see the hurt that it caused my family. Uh. Um, and I did not want to, I did not want to see it. I didn't want, I did not want to see their hurt from seeing me and I did not want anybody to intervene. I mean, I even, I even went all the way across the country to San Diego for six months because I just wanted to get the hell away from everybody. Like, so what was it like that night when they brought your parents to the base? Cause I didn't think you were going to make it like when you say you don't, you didn't want to see that hurt and what, you know, what, yeah. what your lifestyle, how it was basically, this is a ripple effect, huge ripple effect. Um, especially where, when you describe you grew up despite a divorce, there was what sounds like a relatively, you know, strong family dynamic, you know? Um, so what was that night like? So, yeah, that's really interesting because that first those first couple nights, I don't remember much. I yeah. was pretty out of it. But what I can remember is and they were up there for probably a couple weeks or so um, before they like transferred me to a, a little bit more stable of a room and, mm. and stuff like that. Um, there was a part of me, and I almost kind of feel selfish for saying this, but mm. I just to be honest, I felt, you know, like, okay, I kind of brought my family back together in a way. Mm. in a way felt like, okay, this is the first time in, since I was a kid that it was just me and my mom and my dad, mm. like no step parents, no sisters, no anybody. Like it was me, my mom and my dad. And for a kind of, you were five. It made I me feel kind of being five. <laughs> it made me feel like we were family again. Yeah. And, um, but that isn't really a good representation of, the the hurt that I felt later on because right. that I was still denying it. I was like, "There's got to be something wrong." I mean, the the military ran like three hundred thousand dollars worth of tests on me to rule out anything, just to say that it was an eating disorder. Like they ran the gamut on me. They they checked for cancer. They checked for diabetes. They checked for everything, everything. you could possibly think of. When all along, I think they knew what what was wrong, but they kind of just did so it. So, what anyway. was that moment when you went, okay? It's an eating disorder. Like when, when did you, because you talk about awareness, but what I love is that because I, I, I kind of get a little bit miffed, like at hearing all this talk about awareness, awareness. Okay, great. We all have awareness, but then you, you 
um, attached to that the word understanding, which thank you for doing that because you can have all the awareness in the world, but if you don't understand it or what to do with it or how to work with it, your awareness really doesn't serve you in any way at all. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right, but I get so irritated about the whole awareness thing. Great. You got awareness. Now what are you going to do with it? What does it mean? For I tell you. my clients all the time, I'm like, I can write you the, the best plan on paper, but it doesn't mean shit if you can't follow it. Exactly. So like, like awareness is great. I mean, but yeah. I mean, walking around with your eyes open so you don't run into a wall is awareness. Okay. Yeah. So awareness can come at various levels. Awareness can come at levels of that benign. Like I'm just not, because my eyes are open, I'm going to not run into things. Right. But when we get into deeper things, more meaningful things, much more impactful things in our lives, if you lack the understanding of what you're aware of, you're, how really aware are you? Yeah. You're, uh, <laughs> you <know? laughs> you're, um, I mean, so when I was, when I was in the hospital and they, they basically told me, okay, this is what's going on right? This is like, we're going to have to send, we got to send you to a treatment facility. Like Mm. I, I was in denial. Like I was like, no, I fought it. I fought it so hard. That first treatment facility I was in for about four, four or five months, I think. Um, I didn't take it seriously. Mm. So as a guy, as a male, I was in an eating disorder with all pretty much all females. Like I had my own, I had my own room, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah my compulsions in the room, I would do exercise in between, you know, them coming and, you know, I had no supervision. Like I was in a, I was in a position where I had to be by myself, which wasn't good for me. Plus I just wanted to do whatever I could just to get out of there. It wasn't Mm. like I was recovery. I was just looking to get out of there so I can get back to doing. You were just on good, on good uh, facility behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. (laughs) And so they sent me down to a place right outside of LA um, from my base up in Seattle and I spent months there. And then afterwards I came back and finished out my, my, uh, the rest of my contract. I didn't have much time left anyways yeah. after that. But, uh, you know, they, after that, um, I moved back to Florida and I was on my own. Like I was not recovered. I was not anywhere close to being recovered. Now my dad lives down here, which was good, but I mean, I had my own apartment. I was on my, I was on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was for many months just kind of floundering. I mean, I had, you know, money saved up and I just wasn't doing anything and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Right. And, um, kind of relapsed some more, got worse, um, moved away for a while, (laughs) came back. And then I, I was, I can remember this vividly. I was, um, I was sitting on my back porch well, it's not really a porch. It's like in the apartments here in Florida, you know, there's like yeah. open, open airways and there's <laughs> yeah. stairs. I was sitting back on there on one of the stairways looking out. This was the summer. I was looking out off to the distance. And I saw like this storm rolling in. Like, you know, those good Florida Those good, storm. yeah, that come in the evening, early evening. Yeah. Yep, it, that's exactly what it was. It was like early evening. And yeah. I was sitting there and I was like chain smoking cigars like crazy at the time, little black and milds. I was drinking myself silly and I was just like, I think I like looked in the phone or something or took a picture or something. And I was like, I just kind of looked at myself and I'm like, what am I doing? Like it, it, there's no aha moment. There wasn't like, I don't, you would have thought that maybe almost dying in the hospital would have been an aha, aha moment. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I need to take this seriously. No, it was me watching this storm come in drinking. My, I was drunk. You know, I was just in a, mm-hmm. in a haze. And I was just like, what am I doing? This isn't me. 
And, and it almost was like a metaphor, like this storm. Yeah. Before, right. And I know that sounds so cheesy. And I almost was like, when I wrote it in the book, I'm like, are people going to think this is fake? Like, is this too cheesy? But it was, it was honest. No. Truth. It just, I was just looking at him like, I, I'm weak. I can't do anything. I, I do not want to do this. I'm going to die. And yeah. I, I threw the cigar out. I dumped out the rest of my drink and I went inside and I think it was like the next day or the day after I talked to my dad and I'm like, I need help. Like, wow. Need something. And I, you know, I go to the VA over, over here mm-hmm. and stuff, a pines. And, um, I was very fortunate that, you know, I'd been seeing a, uh, a therapist for a little while, but once again, I wasn't really taking it seriously. I right. was just doing it because I had to, and they worked tirelessly to get me into an amazing facility over here. Oh. in Clearwater. And if it wasn't for the VA and, you know, them paying for it all and everything, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Like I was very, very fortunate to be in a position to where mm. they could help me and do that. But I had to want the help first. And that took many years of trying to get help, failing, pretending to get help and then failing and just kind of floundering back and forth before I decided it was time. Your life and is worth something. People is you can't help somebody that doesn't want help. No. Right? And especially and if don't, they don't feel their life has value, really. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't, I don't mean that saying like, if someone's listening to this, like, don't try to help somebody, like right. you should try to help somebody, but you have to understand that at some point, like, it doesn't mean that you failed, right? Like the person, if it's an adult, they have to want this for themselves. Working with clients, there's only so much I can do. You have yeah. to want it for yourself. You have to follow the plan. You have to be consistent and here and all this stuff. We can work on everything. Same thing with mental health or any other mm. sickness or illness that someone's going through is you, you, you just have to understand that you're not going to be able to help everybody, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And that until that person wants help, they're not going to, they're not going to put full effort into it. Maybe they'll go to a treatment, but they're going to be like me. They're not going to put full effort into it until no. they are ready. Until and that, they're moment, ready. that moment's going to come different for everybody. Exactly. Right. Mine. Nearly it was a dying. storm. Yeah. Nearly, yeah. Nearly <laughs> the extreme didn't. <laughs> but for me, watching a storm come in, come and do it. And that's why the whole preface of the book is, is don't give up. Just get up the next day. Just yeah. make it, make an effort to get up the next day. All right. Cause anything at that point can happen. I didn't know that day that I woke up that that night I was going to be drunk, smoking a cigar on my back porch, watching a storm come in and be like, this is it. Yeah. This, I want help. And even when I decided I wanted help, I said, it was not easy. Like I I would two or three steps forward and take a step back Mm -hmm. two or three steps forward until eventually I was a mile down the road and I would only take a, you know, 10 feet walk backwards. And then I would keep going. Like that's how recovery goes. And there is no time limit. There is no time frame you can put on it, but you have to just be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And the more that you're willing to be uncomfortable, the sooner that will be comfortable for you and you'll be able right. to progress and get, get to right. how you want to get to. So. Creating new familiars, which isn't, yeah. isn't easy. And I know you, you have interrupt, but like oh. also um, learning how to set boundaries for yourself too. Mm-hmm. Like you have to learn how to set boundaries for yourself from a physical and an emotional standpoint. Yeah. Like, this is my boundary. When I get here, when I'm this anxious and all this stuff, I've got to talk to somebody. Like yeah. I can't push through this by myself. I got to talk to somebody or if I'm getting physical, like doing all this activity, there's a yeah. certain point where it's like, no, nope, I'm going to cross the line. Yeah. 
but you have to be self-disciplined to know where those boundaries are for you. Again, the awareness, but the understanding of what that is so you know what to do with it. Thank you so much for listening to the Strong by Design podcast. Our team here at Critical Bench has been making the world's number one workout and fitness programs to help you live a life that is truly strong by design. We encourage you to visit our Amazon store at strongbydesignamazon.com for premium follow-along workouts, fitness equipment, and more. That's strongbydesignamazon.com. Two things, because I want to I want to touch on the whole being male with an eating disorder, because I do want to address that, because I think there's a huge imbalance there, like socially with all of that. But I wanted to add, because there's I've been taking notes and stuff, and you use words like journey and uh, talking about you know going through what you did, what you went through, and even though at the time it didn't like you can't, it's not like something terrible happened, like you you didn't lose your family in a house fire and stuff. So it's not like you can connect necessarily the eating disorder and, and the mo- emotional trauma that you had with something like that. But there was all these things that as you, you know, had the awareness and the understanding going through therapy and figuring it all out with these triggers or what was buried, what that trauma was. And then the storm. And I love that story about the storm because I'm sitting here thinking, I know you have a very deep faith. Yeah. And I'm just one, I'm sitting here listening to it and, and, and listening to you talk and think, you know, if you didn't go through all of that, you wouldn't be the coach you are today because of all that. And I'm not trying to say, oh, it was okay that you went through it. That's not what I'm saying no, at all. I agree with you 100%. 100%. Uh, but I think that sometimes the journey, because you use the word journey, that you went on and the fact that you had, you did, ha- despite that the family split, you had a good family. So you you did have a healthy support network of good people. Um, you, you know, you got into the military, which even though that was a great, environment to, you know, facilitate and and grow uh, like the OCD and all those controlled things, you you know, there was like, there's some really key elements in your story where you landed in good places. It's just that you had this sort of this storm brewing inside you. Right. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, a storm coming and that's where you got your like, what am I doing? And I just wonder how much or what would you say to the fact that like you have a very deep faith, you don't hide that. I love that you make that public and share that and talk about it. How much of that do you think was like, that was just a moment that you were being spoken to and that like, not that that wouldn't happen again, but you were being spoken to and you got it. But maybe if you didn't get it that night, it might've happened another like next week in a different way or something. But yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, You know, I think it had a huge a huge role in it. Um, but that back then, you know, faith and religion and all that, it wasn't as big of a part of my life, but I think that it's like things that happen in your past set you on a course for the future. Totally. Uh, and I totally. think that I recognized something at that moment. Yeah. And knew that there's a, there's a higher calling for me. Mm-hmm. And, and not just say like coaching is like some sort of godly feat. It's not, it's not, but I think that that was kind of like for me, the awakening of like, okay, there's a higher power. There's something mm-hmm. more yeah. in my life, at least. I don't know if you know, somebody's listening yeah. to this and it's not in their life. That's fine. But for me, there is. And that I have a purpose on this earth. I have a purpose that is not fulfilled yet. Yeah. Cause if it, if it was fulfilled, I would have died year, a few years back. 
Right. And your lesson would have become other people's stories. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I was saved. I did not die when I was in the ICU, although for all intents and purposes, I should have. You should have, yeah. (laughs) Um, But I didn't. And it took me floundering for a few years. And then it took that storm coming in to realize my time's not done here. I don't know exactly what my future calling is, but I know that this story, this hell that I went through here has got to be good for something down the road. Yeah. Right. But I need to get healthy in order to figure out what that is. And as I was getting healthy, that's where everything started to become more clear to me as to, okay, like I know how to control my passion. Now I Mm -hmm. know how to approach it from a healthy standpoint with nutrition and training. I know what signs to look for, for people. I know how important mental and emotional health is in the whole grand scheme of being a healthy person, right? Mm. It's not just about your physical health. It's just, it's about not just about looking good naked. Is it? <laughs> and we love it, but it's we not love it, but <laughs> like all encompassing. And I could not be the coach I am today and no. focus on my clients, mental and emotional health as well. And like I said, I'm not a professional. It's not like I can help them necessarily, but I can point them in the right directions or I know things to look at and know things yeah. to talk to them about. But I could not have done that if I wouldn't have gone through my own stuff in the past. And so because I didn't die in that ICU room, you know, back in 2011, I got healthy enough to still make some more mistakes along mm-hmm. the way. until I finally decided and had that kind of aha, like, storm rolling in moment, like, listen, yeah, there's something bigger than me because I should, I should not be here right now watching mm. it. So yeah. I need to make a change. And then along the way is where I kind of learned what all of that past history and what that change was going to look like in order to help people in the future. And that's, you know, that's yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be the coach you are without that. I mean, no. you would because, and, and maybe, and I, I think that this is personal belief systems, but I do feel like just like subconscious. I don't, you know, like you said, you're, you're not the professional to necessarily treat somebody through the recovery of an eating disorder, but you've been there where you can recognize some flags and some signs and start a conversation that can lead to getting someone to like, look, you know, I think here's some things I'm noticing. Here's just some things I think we need to talk about. I'm not the person that can help with this, but I know some great people. So you're all you're also like this, um, like uh, like a facilitator. Like you can, you know, like you're you're an avenue for you know people that maybe come to you and they're wanting this one thing, and then all of a sudden because of you and your ability to recognize certain things, you can actually set them on a path to their own healing and recovery if they choose to accept it. And without that, that would get missed. You know, I kind of, I, I wish I would have thought about this analogy before I wrote the book and maybe I'll do a revision down the road. <laughs> you know, I was a, I was a, a first line, um, you know, um, defender in, in some sorts as a medic yeah. in the army, right? Yeah. I kind of see that as my role here. What I can do from a, a psychological or an emotional standpoint as a coach is like, I'm first line defense here. Like, yes. I'm not going to be able to do surgery on you. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be able to recognize that you need to go get surgery. Right. And reason surgery, obviously, is a metaphor here um, right. for getting the help that you actually need. Right. right. So, like, I can triage you here because I know what to look for. Right. And I can get you to the people that can actually help you. Right. I've turned away many clients because I just, I was like, listen, you don't need me right now. Right. You need to go do this. Something now, else. Yeah. And I did it or not. I don't know. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I, people listening, I want them to really, really remember that there's a lot of things I want to remember this podcast, but just keep in mind that not all coaches are in it like to charge you big bucks and help you look good naked. There are, you know, this is, um, this is, I mean, spoken like a real true coach who loves what they do. Um, and clearly you're in it for the right reasons because good coaches will, I'll use the term fire clients all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't take them on. You know, you can ask, Pretty much all my clients will tell you that um, the first thing I tell them when they come on board is the first thing we're always going to look out for is your health. Yeah. First and foremost, I want you to accomplish your goals. I want to get you there. I would love for that. But if you, if we're not healthy, it's not the outside stuff's not going to follow. If you're not healthy up here, if you're not healthy from a a hormonal standpoint, Mm -hmm. internally, it's, you're not going to be able to achieve your outward physical appearance that you want. Right. right? So, um, you know, some I'm not going to get you, I'm not going to do 30 day fat loss phases with you. Right. I'm not going to put you on a 5,000 calorie bulk and just watch you gain a bunch of fat for no reason. My approach is very slow, sustainable, but it's because we're trying to, we're trying to teach habits along the way. Right. Right. We're trying to teach things that behaviors, new behaviors better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, I would love to have every client for three, four, five years. Right. But that's not really, you know, it's not really realistic. I want you to leave me whenever it's time, hopefully years down the road, I want you to leave in a much better position than you started and feeling confident that you can sustain what we've learned right. moving forward. Right? right now, like I'm not going to tell you what to eat. Right. But if we have issues and you're finding, you know, certain foods are not working for you, then we're mm-hmm. going to talk through it. We're going to find right. different substitutions. Right. I'm not going to write yeah. you a meal plan because I don't think that's sustainable for the rest of your life. So that's like a little habit right there that yeah. is along the way. And then I have so many people that we, I have to talk to them about my exercise uh, addiction and compulsion because they'll go 21, 28 days without taking a day off. And I'm like, quality over quantity. Come on. We got it. Like we're not robots, right? We need time off. And and one of my favorite analogies to tell people is, uh, or not analogies, however you want to say it is if you don't schedule in your rest time, your body is going to schedule. It oh for yeah, you. your body you're will not going to like the results. No, you're not. <laughs> not at all. It'll be on on two seventy five or something. <laughs> you, you need to take a proactive approach yeah. instead of letting your body be reactive because you're not going to like how it is. And so, like, it's 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 rewarding for me to see someone drop twenty pounds or right. put on muscle as it is to just see them start changing some of these obsessive or. Um, these habits that they feel like they have to do and that they're uncomfortable changing. Mm-hmm. So coming down from seven days a week to five days a week training or nice. understanding that carbs are not the enemy, right? Oh yeah. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> understanding that fueling your body is a good thing. Like food is not evil, right? There yeah. is no good food. There is no bad food. There's just food. Food always broken down into energy in your body. Yeah. Now, obviously we want to pick the most nutritious right. micronutrient dense options, but having a piece of pizza every now and then or a burger or something like that's not going to kill you. Right. And well, so you d- getting you- these people, sorry, sorry, keep going. Oh, I was going to say getting, getting these, uh, getting certain clients to see like, okay, you overate one night, right. Your weight went up the next day. Just do me a favor for the next four days. Just get right back on track. Just be consistent and let's see what happens. And almost, Simultaneously, yeah. their weight starts going back down and little by little the exposure gets them to understand that 
one day is not going to kill you, mm. but one day will kill you if you let it turn into two or three or four right. or five because you're dwelling on it. So right. getting these behavioral changes and these uh, thought process changes are just as rewarding as Huge. getting someone a six pack or getting them a trophy yeah. up on. Well, because that's where the sustainability know, comes that's how from. I approach it, so. If they get it here. It's kind of like, you know, giving somebody um, a toolbox that's got no tools in it. And every time there's a leaky faucet, so you show up with the right tool, but then you take it with you. And then they call you again, well, there's, you know, there's a funny sound coming from the furnace room. So you go over with the right tools and then you leave them, but you're, you never actually show them anything, show them how to fix it and leave them with the right tool. So they're constantly left with this toolbox that they're told they need, but nothing in it to utilize. So getting it up here um, is to me, like that's the recipe for success for actually them being able to sustain it, not just sustain it, but notice themselves when, you know, things maybe need to change because life changes. We get older, we get injured, we get pregnant, all these things happen. So life, it's just because you get the sustainable plan and you've got healthier, better behaviors and you're able to manage it. Great. But then what happens when life throws curveball? How well do you navigate that? Thank you so much for listening to the Strong by Design podcast. To help our show reach more listeners just like you, please let us know how we've changed your life by leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Go to strongbydesignpodcast.com. That's strongbydesignpodcast.com. Let's get back to the show. We talked about the awareness and action earlier I can't tell you how many people come to me aware of what they need to do. Yeah. They just can't act upon it. Right. right? And to, to bridge that gap between the awareness and the action to me is, is one of my favorite parts of coaching because I know how much that changed my life. Right. Like I know how much adding different tools to my toolbox changed my life. Like not every job is going to require a hammer, right? Not every job is going to require right. a screwdriver, but you have to have those all available because you don't know when mm-hmm. that particular tool is going to become uh, necessary for you, but you can't use those tools if you don't understand that there's action that actually needs to be taken from it. So yeah, um, yeah I, I just, I, and I know many of the other coaches with our team um, have very similar philosophies. Like we're, we're in this to better everybody as a whole, right? Like one of our mission statements is to just kind of, you know, leap basically in a nutshell is to, you want them to leave, in a better position than they were when you got there, right? Exactly. You want to arm them with exactly. the tools necessary. You want to arm them with the confidence necessary. Um, and you want to arm them with the knowledge that they can sustain long-term. Exactly. Now that's, and that's, um, that's success. And that's not, not just, it's their success and your success. Cause I always felt like really good coaches actually work themselves out of clients. Cause if you have a client yeah. that stays with you for life, you yeah. can't, I, somebody's got a dependency there that isn't good. I know it's one or the other, but that's not really a success story if they need you forever. Yeah, you know, I was joking with my wife. You know, I think it was probably maybe a few weeks back or, or a couple months back or something. But I was like, you know, I think I get, I think I'm getting people results too quickly because they're not sticking around. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that conceited by any means, yeah. but I'm just like the methods once they once they grasp onto them, yeah, they just take off, yeah. right? So. It's all about people try to start fixing the outside first. You got to start fixing the brain first yeah. because I'm not waving to you right now. And unless this is telling me to wave, right. right. You cannot do anything unless you work on this. So I think a lot of people kind of approach it from the, 
with the right intentions, but from the wrong angle. Right. And, and they're approaching like, okay, well, what's your diet like, right? What are you eating? How much are you exercising? All that. No, no, no. How are you thinking about food? Yeah. How are, are you, you feeling about food? What's your relationship with food? Exactly. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. Like I said it earlier in the podcast, you can have the best laid plan on paper down. And if they don't get it, if they can't grasp it and take yeah. the action, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't do any good. It doesn't mean it's anything. just a worthless piece of paper at that point. So I well, think I was, that um, what I like to do is try to approach it from a different angle than most right. people, but I'm only able to approach it that way because of everything I went through in the past. Well, exactly. Exactly. Um, it's, it's relatable to you and you can relate to your clients in a way that probably help, helps them not to feel attacked or yeah. more shame or more guilt and all of those things that come with a lot of those mental health issues that people work really hard at concealing because you've been there, you would have a natural innate ability to bring up these harder topics in a way that at least they're going to feel at ease and not like, you know, you got an eating disorder, oh. ah, da, 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 you, oh, you, you, you. <laughs> Nobody will ever be more embarrassed or more ashamed of anything than I was being a military male going through an eating disorder. Yes. Yeah, so we need to touch on that because I have this written here on my, um, my things I want to talk about, like coming from, you know, military, you know, yeah. uh, like, I mean, military, you guys protect us. You guys go out. Everything you think it is. It's Yeah. <laughs> it's like, these are the tough guys, the strong guys. It's just, you know, you never always in the fight. You never give up all of that stuff, all of that bravado and that st- everything that we think male strength, testosterone, that. Oomph. So here you are in that environment, being a male, anorexia. Yeah. Did you face, I, I have it written down as like sexism, but I wanted to really explain that better. Like as far, and but when you talked about being in the uh, facility that you were basically there amongst women, do you think that, because I don't believe that it's all that less common in men. I think women, I think, I think men, just don't get the attention or doesn't garner the attention in the male population that it does in the female population. But I think it's damn near as prevalent in men. They just don't get it, whether it's because, and I don't have an answer for this. I'm asking whether it's because men are supposed to be strong and tough and they don't have those kinds of issues, you know, like that's a female issue, um, which I think is crap. Um, (laughs) So like, talk about that. Like, you know, this is the background. This is the environment. This is something you did and you have anorexia. Yeah, so I think, I think it's unfortunately become more prevalent for males. Yeah, I think so too. Ten years ago, and I think social media is completely oh responsible for that. Um, so here's what's interesting about what I was going through when I was in my unit is that I was the PT guy. I was the guy who ran the fastest, did the most push-ups, did all that stuff, and. There was nobody knew what to look for. Nobody knew there was anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I was in top physical shape, right? I was doing all this stuff. And um, I think that, you know, in, in, in my medical unit, I had females in my medical unit. So it wasn't just all, it wasn't just right. all males or anything like that. And I had a very good unit. I mean, I'm still really close with a lot of them. Um, I think part of the reason why I'm alive today is because I had a good unit. And, you know, that's a whole nother story. But, um, there just nobody knew what to really look for. Nobody knew yeah. what this was because they also teach you to be a lean, mean fighting machine, right? Yeah. Like I was maxing out PT tests. I was running, no joke. I was running like a 10 52 mile time. I was doing, like, there's no reason. You're a RoboCop. 
and, and part of that was also my demise because I kept, I kept trying to outdo myself ah. until I eventually just broke. Right. Yeah. I think part of the reason, um, and like I said, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed for a long time. Yeah. Um, not anymore. I understand more realistically now that I've gone through my therapy, but I kind of used to ask myself, why did nobody say anything? Why did nobody see anything? And then I've kind of gotten to understand that I was really good at hiding stuff. I mean, it was really, really easy for me to hide my behaviors and hide my stuff. As long as I still showed up, I was a, listen, yeah. it, all the, all the health issues and stuff I went through with the army. I loved being a soldier. I loved it. I was good at it. I was a good medic. Um, like I said, I wish it would have turned out differently. I wish I wouldn't have been unhealthy so that I could have kept going. I would have made a career out of it. Uh, I would have gone to PA school and made a career out of it, but I hid a lot of stuff. I hid mm. stuff that people only saw what I wanted them to see. And as long as I was still performing, nobody had any reason to question anything. Um, and I think from a male's perspective, our brains are wired different than females. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You guys come out of the womb. We come out of the womb different, completely yeah. wired we, differently. We don't think on that as I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. We don't <laughs> think on as emotionally. No, exactly. You don't. We're, we're not built that way. It's not no. a ego thing. It's not a masculine. It's, it's just the way that males and females are different, right? Yes. So I think females are more open to talking to other females about their feelings, other issues like that. Men, we don't, we literally don't know how to bring that stuff up in mm -hmm. a lot of cases. Now, obviously I'm talking as a whole, there's, there's certain people that are more, more in touch than others. And um, I do, I have a very sensitive side to me. I'm not all that like, you know, rah, rah, like a right. total masculine guy. I mean, I, I like hunting, shooting guns, you know, fit, yeah. I love all that stuff, but I grew up with sisters too. So I've got an emotional <laughs> side, but people around me had no idea. First of all, that there was anything really wrong. Cause I was performing still, I mm -hmm. was doing my job good. I was performing on PT tests, physical activities. And second of all, it's like, I don't think they would have even known what to say. Right. Like I just really don't think they would have known what to say. So I don't blame anybody in my unit for not stepping up sooner or anything yeah. like that. But it just really goes to show that that whole mentality kind of carries over into the civilian world too. It's like men don't know how, when we don't know how to bring something up, it's very uncomfortable for us. Like when we don't know how to deal with an emotion or something uncomfortable that we see, we, we just don't deal with it for the most part. And, and I think that's a very, very big detriment and what's led to more of a, a propensity in society for male eating disorders to take off. Now, I also think that there is an element of peer pressure that mm -hmm. has to be looked at. I think there's an element to, well, I guess peer pressure can kind of go into social media and stuff too. Um, we live in a, a very superficial society mm -hmm. and I, I have really appreciated social media in a lot of aspects, but I've always also grown to hate it because I see these people in the fitness industry yeah, and, and I see people that follow them and I see things that they ask them. And I, I just, I, I gather all of this information. I'm very observant now. And I'm like, there's things that people are doing that are just leading them down the wrong path. And it's like, I'm not really mad at that person who's doing it because I don't think they know that they're doing it. Yeah. And so there needs to be more education. And that's kind of, that's why I try to talk openly about 
my situation. That's why I wrote a damn book on it, right? Like yeah. I want people to know that, listen, if a male in the military can go through this, deal with his emotions, deal with all that stuff, and then not be embarrassed afterwards. Now, I was very embarrassed at the time. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like that was not there. But if I can be all this, all these years later and realize, no, that's, I wasn't embarrassed by that. I went through something. I learned from it. I grew from it. I'm able to help somebody else and realize that, you know, this is kind of a gift. I think that um, more people should, could hopefully feel more comfortable reaching out for help, realizing, okay, well, you know, I don't like to use comparisons, but it's like, okay, if this guy can do it, I can do it, right? I can reach out for help. And that's what I'm hoping that a lot of people get from my story is that like, you can't be in a more masculine situation than I was. Now, the difference was, is I didn't ask for help. I was forced into help. So I yeah. do fully admit that. Um, that is a whole different beast. But I also want people to realize too that um, that mentality, that military mentality never leaves me. I, I am yeah. a different person from the moment I went into the military than I was prior to the military. And it has affected and shaped my life and always will the rest of my life. I've still got that military aura to me in many, many ways. And if I can sit here and still tell you that, you know, coming and getting help and everything was the best situation for me and I would not be sitting here today without it, that should hopefully give people some comfort to know that they don't have to be ashamed to get help, right? Yeah. They don't have to be afraid to get help. I'm very honest and tell them it's not going to be easy. Like it, it's yeah. not going to be easy to ask for help. It's not going to be easy to go through recovery. It's not like it was all sunshine and roses for me, right? I still have some bad days where I, I go through my anxiety and things like that. But the issue, the, the point is, is that you can't let some fear and embarrassment of something that is probably happening to way more people around you than you know, Mm-hmm. keep you from going to get the help that you need. Because at the end of the day, you're responsible for your health. You're responsible for your life. If you're an adult, you are responsible for your life. It's nobody else's, nobody else's uh, business. It's nobody else's duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hopefully have some support system around you and people that love you, but it ultimately comes down to what I talked about earlier. If you don't want help, you're not going to get help. But I'm telling people, listen, do not be embarrassed. All right. I was probably the most embarrassed you could ever be in that situation, right? Going through help. And, and even at the time when I finally did ask for help, when I finally did want the help, I was still so embarrassed, but you know what? I did it anyways. I did it. And I am so thankful that I did not listen to those feelings and I did not let them hold me back because I would not be here today. I would not have recovered. I would not have met my beautiful wife. I would not be having a baby girl. I would not be, um, helping people shape and mold their lives through coaching today, if I would have let fear and embarrassment stand in my way. Yeah. So you wouldn't, you would, yeah, you have a greater impact. And I think of a greater calling as a coach, specifically like with what you will give because of those experiences. So I hope so. And I just, <clears throat> I just like to be honest with people, you know, yeah. I'm very upfront with clients right away. I'm like, listen, you know, this is what I'm seeing. I think you need to go take care of this first and then come back to me when you have that under control. Um, I would much rather, listen, I, I have to be able to sleep at night too. Yeah. Like, you know, I am not one that's in now. Listen, it's my profession. Okay. I'm in this, you know, this is how I support my family and everything. This is my profession, but I'm not in this to rip people off of money when I yeah. know that they need to go get some other help to begin with. Right. And, um, you know, there's even been people at the end of, end of programs. It's like, listen, this is, 
we've talked about this throughout, like, I don't, I would love to work with you again, but I don't think it's best for you. I think you need to go take care of this first. Um, and I've even had people that, um, you know, I've worked with this, uh, this one person for about a year and a half now. Um, and about four or five months ago, finally got through to them that, listen, I, I really think you need to combine therapy with our coaching, right? Yeah. Ever since then, it has been a completely different result. Results wow. are starting to come better because mm-hmm. they're feeling better. They're feeling better about themselves. When you're, when you're stressed about something, when you're worried about something, anxious about something, it's going to affect all areas of your life. You know, I talked yeah. about earlier, um, you know, I actually did a YouTube video on this about stress. Like your body is like a stress pool, right? It doesn't matter where the stress comes from. It's going to start filling up. Right. And it does not matter what it takes to overflow it. Once it overflows it, it's going to affect all areas of your life. It could be you sitting in traffic jam and you get stressed and then all of a sudden you just lose it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the point is, is that your issue is probably not so much food and exercise related. You're probably using that as a coping mechanism for something deeper. And, and I sure was. And I know many other people that I've talked to that are, are, have gone through eating disorders and stuff like that. It's the same thing. Like, Food, exercise, body image, all that stuff was a coping mechanism yes. for the root cause. And, and until you get down to that root cause, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I'm so glad you survived. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad that storm came and that you actually went like, oh, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and I don't know if it's just because of that or not, but like I sure love sitting out back watching a good storm. Now oh, I know. They're the best, especially here. They come in so loud and that rumble and you can feel it in your chest. Those are the best ones. Those are the best ones. Four to, four to ones are the best. I'll tell you. Oh, that. they really are. So Dave, before I let you go, I want, this is your moment. I want you to tell everybody right now where they can find you. Cause I think that there's, um, a lot of people that would love to reach out because you don't even just necessarily, somebody doesn't just contact you like, Hey, I want coaching. You're like, great. Give me your credit card number. You actually have a 30 minute like consult to actually decide if, if you're the right fit for this client or that you, you give them that so that you guys can actually see if this is going to be a good working relationship. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm biggest on Instagram. That's yes. kind of my, my major platform. It's uh, at Mathis Fitness, M-A-T-H-A-S Fitness. Um, I'm also uh, big into YouTube. I like to make instruction, not, not really instructional. I just, uh, I take a lot of questions that I get from my Instagram and from clients. Okay. And I make them into videos. So it's just David Mathis. Um, and as far as those 30 minute consults and stuff, I have them in the link of my bio in Instagram. Okay. So people can go there. Great. Um, yeah, your it's book? People- where, where do we get your book? My book is on, uh, you can go to Amazon and you can search a shell of myself, or you can just go to www.ashellofmyself.com. I have it in an ebook and paperback form. Um, and yeah, the 30 minute consults, it's, uh, you know, I want people to feel comfortable. I want people yeah. to understand um, and, and understand where I see the program going and what I think they need to do so that we're all on the same page. You can mm-hmm. get a feel for how we, how we fit together um, and go from there. I find that that's a great way to get to know each other, form that relationship and be on the same page moving forward. Um, and then of course, if you're interested in coaching, uh, David at biolane.com. Yes. Um, everything's in the, everything's in the, uh, 
um, bio of my Instagram. So. Right. Yeah. It's all there. Cause I, like I said, I have been following you and I wanted to bring up before I let you go too, is that um, cause you do the stories where you're like, ask me a question. And I yeah. loved it yesterday because somebody said like something about your guilty pleasures with food. And you're like, I don't feel guilty about eating any food. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I yeah. screenshotted it. Cause I'm like, everybody needs to see this. Everybody needs to get it. There is no bad food, which you talked a little bit about here, but I was like that, that is the most authentic response anybody could give. <laughs> I got a lot of those uh, those fire emojis from people when they clicked on it. So it's the truth, though. I mean, it is the truth. It, it's you should not feel guilty about food. Food food serves two purposes. It serves for nourishing your body, mm-hmm. and there's a social aspect. It's food. a celebration. Look at the calendar. Like oh, I've always said, you can you can actually discuss. You could write a thesis on the like the calendar culturally as it relates to meals throughout the year and holiday yeah. events. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's nothing to fear, right? No. Like, it, when you feel empowered and you feel like you understand things, you take more control over it and it makes things so much easier. So yes, uh, I'm glad you like that. Thanks. I did. I loved it. I love like, yes. As I, as I went home and had a small glass of wine and thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, well, David, I cannot, th- I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I would love to have you back a little bit after the little girl comes along and joins the family and talk about how all that's going um, and how you start managing now being a dad into all of this. So I would love to have a follow-up conversation with you because this was so much fun. And there's actually, I have this real, um, there's, I just feel very compelled to bring even more awareness to the issue of eating disorders, particularly with males. Cause like, I, I really do feel like, I think it's getting better, but I do think that for just the way socially we are, that females definitely, it seems to get a broader attention, a broader audience. And I think that males need that audience as well, if anything, to just be able to hopefully start to feel more comfortable in acknowledging this is what's happening with me. Cause I think yeah. the fact that it maybe isn't as popular uh, yeah. a topic in male health, that maybe it, that might keep more men from coming forward with it or being able to accept that uh, I got an eating disorder. And just understanding that it doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't make you weak. No. It doesn't make you fem- effeminate. It's, it doesn't, it's not emasculating. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a mental health issue that needs to be addressed. And that can be, you know, you can go through a recovery process and be healthy and strong and have a really great life as you, showing us here. So um, that you having me on. Thank you. So oh, much. thank you so much. Um, don't forget, uh, folks, please uh, leave us a five star rating and a review. Let us know what you thought about the podcast. And please check the show description because all of Dave's links will be in there so you can contact him. Thank you very much, Dave. And uh, like I said, I can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much for listening to the Strong by Design podcast. If you found value in today's episode, Please subscribe so that more people can find out about our show. Plus, you don't want to miss any future episodes with the amazing guests and topics we have lined up for you.